And this is the Tantric Lounge, where we talk sex, science, and spirituality. Welcome back to another show. And this is going to be a really interesting show, I think, because we're talking about the sex brain. Aren't we, Xavier? Oh, yes, the sex brain. Mm. As if we didn't have enough trouble with the brains that we already have. We're now introducing a new brain. Oh, but Xavier, we have many brains, and they all need to be aligned. Just like dominoes. Indeed, indeed. And, and, so, and who's our sex brain expert? Yes, we have a brain expert. Our inaugural guest. Yes, yes, indeed. We're very delighted to be welcoming down on the lounge, down on the Tantric Lounge, Grant Susalu. Hello, Grant. Good morning, both of you. How are you? Very well, very well. Thank you for joining us. Now, first of all, just let me let our, um, our listeners know just how very impressive you are. Um, because we do talk sex, science and spirituality, so it's good to know where people are coming from. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have advanced degrees and certifications in psychology, positive psychology, applied physics, computer engineering and software development. Is this true? This is true. I've got six degrees. and uh, Six? Really? Six I've degrees only got four. I've only oh, got so, four. Oops, I didn't know it was a competition, but uh, <laughs> sure. I win everybody. I don't have any. Yes. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's naturally brilliant. What's, uh, what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> Study. Ah. <laughs> and, and you think I'm joking. No, no, no. No, no. I threw away my television when I was 21. And, uh, and, and, so, and, I, and, yeah, and with it, the right to have anything resembling a normal life. Good for you. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Who wants to be normal? Okay. Yeah, so, 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 sitting here comfortably on the Tantric Lounge, uh, yes. I'd, have to, I'd have to say that um, uh, you know, the, uh, who needs to be normal when you can be special? Well, now that we're speaking to the very special Grant Susalu, who, that's an Estonian name for those who might be interested. Um, not that that means matters um anyway grant Hmm. you have a multiple brain theory is it correct to call is it correct to call it a theory yeah i I think uh theory is going potentially a little too far um but uh we prefer to call it a model uh, nevertheless speculation uh, as speculation well it's probably uh, a lot stronger than speculation because yes. um, uh, neuroscience over the last decade or so, uh, 15, in particular the last 15 years, has, I'll say, rediscovered that we have more than one brain. Now, I, I want to start initially by saying, can, can I explain brain first? Yes, please do, because I think people might be a bit confused, because the yeah. brain in our head takes up a lot of space, and where would the other ones fit? Along with my sinuses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've got huge sinuses. But that's another matter. You have a large nose, Xavier. Pl- plenty so of room for, about- for additional neurons there, you're thinking. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> if the nose fits, wear it. Yes, well, brains. Uh, uh, Tell us about uh, brains. I'm assuming you're going to do a whole tantric segment on noses at some point and um, the use of Who noses knows? in sexuality. Who knows? No pun intended. Anyway, oh, getting back very to good. the brain. Oh. I'm it's impressed. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's the afternoon for the Americans. Yes, I know, but it's horribly early for us. Please, brains, grant. Okay, so uh, getting back to brains. Yes. Uh, the, back in 1895, I'm going to go mm. back in a little tour of, of history. Back in 1895, Byron Robinson, MD, a, a medical doctor, a Western medical doctor and anatomist in the mm. US, discovered that we have... Uh, complex nervous system 
in the gut region and in the reproductive region. And he wrote a book called uh, The uh, Enteric and Reproductive Brains. And he, he said he'd found you know, anatomical evidence of what looked to be a brain in the gut and a brain in the reproductive system. Unfortunately, in the socio-political system of, of medicine and science, his anatomy textbooks didn't win the day for becoming the main textbooks and they languished away in the libraries. And you know, in the annals of medical science, we lost the knowledge of there being uh, a really large and complex neural network. You know, that reminds me, sorry to interrupt, Grant, that reminds yep. me of the history of the clitoris. Same, must, same deal, right? Yeah, it sort of yeah. disappeared. Knowledge yeah. of it disappeared. And if you look at it... The case of the missing clitoris. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. And isn't it interesting that science does this? found it, really. Yeah. Have you found it? <laughs> A lot of people are still looking for the mysterious missing clitoris. <laughs> but, but, no, but it is interesting that, you know, we think of science as being... Been hanging out with the brain. <laughs> <laughs> Or partying somewhere. Somewhere on that shelf. <laughs> yes. Anyway, but... Oh, yeah, that's right. Science has rediscovered the clitoris. In fact, they're discovering more and more of it, but we'll save that for another show. I just find it interesting how science can discover and then lose and then rediscover. So yeah. we've now, rediscovered doing, the brains. When I was doing my uh, applied physics uh, master's in mm. research, mm. one of the statements that we, we would banter around as you know, PhD and, phys- and master's students is that there's that's nothing good. new... Science, yeah, as you do of an afternoon when you don't want to be writing your thesis. Uh, so we discovered that every time you'd find uh, a paper and mm. go looking for something, uh, or something that you've discovered was new, you could, if you looked hard enough, you could find that somebody at some stage in the past had already discovered this. You know, mm. and, uh, and then it gets kind of lost in, in the popular uh, aspects of science, and then gets passively, passively suppressed often. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so it, did you rediscover the brain? No. Um, uh, Professor Michael Gershon mm-hmm. discovered 15 years ago that, uh, and over the last you know, 15 years, and in particular over the last decade, uh, a whole new field of neurogastroenterology uh, mm-hmm. has been developed through Professor Gershon and his colleagues across the world. And it's, it's you know, the science of the brain in the gut, or the Does. enteric brain. Does the enteric brain, the brain in the gut, that its neural network is, does it rival the one in the cranium? Well, the one in the cranium has about 100 billion neurons mm-hmm. and That's the gut brain has around about 500 million neurons. So 100 billion is 100,000 million and mm-hmm. so there's 100,000 million in the head, there's 500 million in the gut. It's about the size of a cat's brain and double okay. the size of a dog's brain. So really? if you think... You yeah. mean our guts are smarter than the house pet? <laughs> the average dog, yes. Wow. <laughs> so if you think about what a you know what a cat can do, uh, what a dog yeah. can do in terms My of my stomach is smarter than Fido. <laughs> Twice as smart. <laughs> yeah, and you know exactly. It's, you've got two Fidos in there with a <laughs> brain power. Probably that why we get ourselves in trouble. So much, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> yes. So many questions are now answered. And, and so tell us, Grant, what have you discovered that the gut brain does? Because part of your, your work has been to identify like different functions of the different brains, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So over, over about a period of two and a half to three years, what mm. I did with a, a colleague of mine, Marvin Oka, mm. we, uh, we, I'll take a step back and say we're, yeah. 
what, what's called behavioral modelers. One of the things that we do is we model human behavior. We look for human excellence, whether that's organizational or individual, and then we unpack it to pr- produce a behavioral model that can then be taught to others so that, that we can replicate that behavioral excellence. If it's possible for somebody to do a behavior and do it repeatedly, they're usually experts at doing what they do largely outside of conscious awareness. And like, like what happens after the 10,000-hour rule. Exactly. After the 10,000 hours, you've built these unconscious competencies or unconscious excellence behaviors. You don't even really know what it is that you do. If you ask an expert, how do you do the behavior they do, they generally don't know. And this mm. would be equally applicable in the field of sexuality because most people get to be good lovers by, yes. you know, happenstance. By, yeah, <laughs> by modeling, uh, unconsciously modeling off other good lovers. You know, you, you get to be as good a lover generally in my experience mm. as the lovers you've been with. Unless you explicitly study something like Tantra. Well, yes. And one of the things I think that differentiates me and why I'm an expert is because I actually, with the help of my long-suffering partner, who often refers to himself as my guinea pig, (laughs) are constantly analysing what we're doing in lovemaking. Yeah. And working on it and, you know, changing things. Just like cooks would, you know, look at their food and analyse what they've done. How could they make it better? That sounds like so much fun. It is. You're in the middle of flagrante delicto. Yes. And all of a sudden, stop, we've got to analyse this. And, you know, there, there is a pun there that's obviously <laughs> that, that I often think of with uh, you know, analyse and analyse. <laughs> oh, getting I couldn't into- resist that pun, I apologise. <laughs> very good, very good, yes. To yes. our millions of listeners. <laughs> exactly. Now yep. uh, apologies to all the listeners that didn't like that uh, interpretation. <laughs> It's fine. Anyway, it's so we've got this gut, this gut brain, the enteric brain. Yes. It's yeah. doing all this parallel thinking along with our, the brain in our head. Yes. And the brain in the heart as well. There is also a heart brain. Yes. And there is a heart brain. So uh, the heart brain the neural is... network of the heart. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, there's this, there's between 50 to 120,000 neurons in the heart, mm-hmm. which is not so huge compared to the gut brain or the head brain. That's really quite small, isn't it? It's, it's really quite small, but it's equivalent but it's, to a module in the frontal lobe, say, of the head brain. So it actually has sufficient complexity okay. to be able to do you know, quite a bit of intelligent processing. Mm-hmm. And okay. some but it's more like a chip rather than the whole computer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Think of it you know, like an arithmetic logic unit in, in your PC. It's something that can do some pretty cool stuff, yeah. but um, it's not the whole thing, right? It, mm-hmm. it obviously subserves functions. It, that relate to the head brain's doing certain sorts of stuff but relies on the heart to process or or potentially you know to to make refined control over distinctions over certain aspects so what okay okay just but just let me interrupt specifically then the head brain the one that we normally think of as the brain does what mostly yeah so i was just gonna say so one of the things that marvin and i did was we looked for what were the core competencies from a behavioral modeling perspective, but informed by the neuroscience of, the, of what's been discovered about the heart brain and the gut brain and the head brain, we went looking for what were the core competencies of these, each brain and mm. what are the prime functions, you know, if you had to summarize what each brain does. And what we found was for the, for the head, the head brain does really, really well. It does cognitive perception. Mind, it does which means what for those who aren't quite so geeky? The ability us. to perceive information and what's coming in through all of your senses mm-hmm. and yep. determine what you know, is, is happening, yep. then think about it, do mm-hmm. all the 
processes of logic and synthesis and analysis and mm-hmm. uh, any of those sorts of processes, and then make yes. meaning of it. Right. Okay. Yep. So per- making sense of stuff, perception, thinking, and meaning making, making sense mm. of it. You know, really um, do all the things that really separate us from monkeys. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what and about the other brain? What about the heart brain? The heart. So I, I actually let's step it across to you. What, what, when you think about the heart and what you do at the heart and what the heart does mm-hmm. best, mm. what's the heart about? What do you, what do you think the Feeling. heart's about? Yeah, Feeling. exactly. Feeling. Mm. You feel all of those emotions. They, they, you feel them in the heart. If you, if yes. I said to you, you really get in touch with the love you feel for somebody that's really close to you. Mm. And it's a lover or a child or you know. A sibling or a parent, but someone that you really feel deeply connected with. Yes. Point to where you're feeling that. Now, Not that be... this works on radio, but yes, you're, yeah. Jackie's point. I can, I can hear that tapping there, and it sounded like you're tapping your chest. Well, you're, I was. You're... I was a microphone. Actually. I was listening <laughs> yesterday to a lecture on Indo-European languages, as I do. Mm. Being without a degree, I have to be an autodidact, which means somebody switches themselves. Anyway, um, the origin of belief is related to the, is related etymologically. The word root is the same as the word for heart. So mm. belief yeah, is something you hold in your heart. Yes, because yes, one of the things I really liked about the work yes. that you and Marvin have done is in part you looked at like common sayings and, and ancient wisdoms and stuff around the heart and the gut and the head, didn't you? Like phrases yeah, and yeah. so forth. Exactly. Yeah? It, it, it's called, it comes out of two different fields. One field called cognitive linguistics, mm-hmm. which looks at uh, the embodiment of metaphor. Yes. And it's like, that- like here's, another, here's another word cognate. The word for God mm. is, well, the ancient European root word for God um, is related to the uh, word for day as in light. So God is involved with enlightenment and belief is something that you hold in your heart. So mm. with the, the spiritual wisdom could be likened to light that you bring into your heart. Oh, God, that's so poetic. Beautiful. Beautiful. And that aligns so perfectly with you know, the, yeah. the work that we've been doing. Yeah. And I, the other I, I do all your linguistics bits here. Oh, shut up. I do, I do the poetry. Oh, sure. Well, we've only got two minutes to break, so <laughs> let's talk about the So heart. quickly, I'll just finish. Neurolinguistics, and I used uh, the, the internet actually as a, a huge corpus, linguistic corpus, to do an analysis of all of the common sayings that we have around head, heart, and gut. And mm. that was just one of the ways that uh, I brought the evidence for what the core competencies were. I looked at, uh, you know, Deficits of the heart and gut. For example, if you get somebody who's had gastric banding, mm-hmm. then there's been research done, longitudinal studies of uh, shifts in personality after gastric banding that happen within a day or two. So it's got right. nothing to do with weight loss from the gastric banding, but just constricting part of the gut, it shifts systematically uh, right. personality. Because part of their for the better or for the worse. Uh, well. It, better or worse depending on outcome, but it, it turns out to be better from the perspective of control and control of eating, but it, mm. it shifts okay. to a much stronger focus on motivation and control. Okay. And Cause the, it's really interesting because it matches up with the prime functions that all the other evidence was showing in our neurolinguistics, etc. And what's that for the gut brain? So the gut brain is around motility, getting moving. Well, well, 
Well, we'll, we'll get to the gut brain after the break. We need to have a break, too. We, we need to have a break. <gasps> Let's break. The gut Let's brain break. needs a break. Hello, this is Jacqueline Helio, and you're joining me, my co-host Xavier Watercane, and today's guest Grant Susalo, down on the Tantric Lounge, where we're talking sex, science, and spirituality. And in particular, we're talking about the multiple brains and the work that Grant and his partner Marvin have been doing on this fascinating topic of various brains in our body, including the sex brain. But at the moment, we're up to... The gut brain, that's right. That's right. We're looking at the gut brain. So tell us, Grant, what does the what is the as you so charmingly put it, the core competency of the enteric brain? What in (laughs) translated in common speak, um, what's the what's the gut brain good for? (laughs) Yeah, beautifully articulated there, Xavier. Very eloquent. Uh, The the gut brain really is about boundary detection and threat monitoring. It's about movement, motility, and it's mm. about core self. And uh, so to explain that a little bit, so why would it be these prime functions? I'd like mm. to, to go back even further in time than we did with our little history tour for you know, the rediscovery of the gut brain. If we go back in the, in the distant mists of time when life was just getting going. And, and yeah, if this were television, we'd have that sort of swishy sort of look like when the <laughs> wavy right. image appeared. Yeah, and we'd, see, and we'd see Cecil the sea slug slowly swimming into frame. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're going that far back. Okay. Yeah, we go that far back. So when life first got going and it started to form the first you know, tube-like organisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, the first enteric these, organism. The first enteric organisms, the first tubes that got going, the first little worms, helminths, um, sea slugs, sea cucumbers, uh, they developed a, a gut. <laughs> this is the auditory equivalent of a Cecil the sea slug coming in, is it? Yes, yes it's a bit silly. <laughs> So yeah, these, these, it's sucking its way through the primordial. Nah, ooze. perfect. And this is exactly what we're talking about because a tube. <laughs> nothing much has changed, has it? We're still. Nothing so- much has changed when we. It was so you see, we're getting close to getting onto the sex brain, right? Yeah, we're getting oozy. Yeah. <laughs> we're lubricating over here. Yeah. So the, 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 uh, if you think about what a sea slug has to do to. to get on in life, um, it needs to do exactly what you were saying, which is it needs to to move in the environment. It needs to detect threat or detect opportunity. So there's another sexy sea slug over there. I'll go over and check her out. Or, oh, my God, that's something dangerous. I better, you know, move away. Or Picardia, if we really want to be technical. What? Picardia, the ancestral notochord. That's it. Perfect. Did you know about this? No, no. I've, I've been st- I've been sticking with Cecil. It's 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 the it's the, it's the Burgess shale organisms. Yes, 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 yes. I do know. I mean, you know, our, our listeners are a smart. Sex, our, our listeners are a smart bunch. They'll, they they can are. look up the Burgess shale. Anyway, yeah. the ancestral the beauty of of the internet, right? Google That's is right. good. I'm sure they'll Google it away. Burgess <laughs> shale as they listen. Picardia. They're probably all going. Tell us about sex. Okay, right, okay. Sucking through the prime. Cut to the action, right? (laughs) So so the gut brain, obviously, one of the things it has to do, uh, and and this actually relates strongly to sexuality. Yes. So um, to bring us back on track. uh, Yes, we're getting further down the torso. The the gut brain as core self. uh, So in this this tube, you know, this this Cecil the sea slug, 
it has to be able to take any molecules because it, basically it's a mouth at one end and you know an anus at the other. So it has to take molecules in and then decide you know, food in and decide whether it's going to keep that molecule or excrete it. So it's going to say this is going to become part of self. This is going to be excreted. And it turns out that you know our gut brain is largely the same as what's in Cecil the sea slug, and our gut brain does exactly subserves the same functions. So what it's doing is, as we eat, it's taking in the molecules saying, will this become part of self? And also internal molecules that are to be excreted out saying, get rid of self. But the gut brain is also connected to largely to and controls our immune system. 70 to 80% of our immune function is controlled by the enteric brain. Right. So... So it's not, just, it's not just I eat, therefore I am. I am. No, indeed. It's, no, it's I, I wander I around my body much. going... Is yeah. this self or not self? Is this good oh. self or bad self? So it protects us, really, doesn't it? The gut yeah. brain's about protection. Oh, I'm having a, I'm having a moment. Oh, what? And, no, and it's just a really interesting insight. Yes, because the immune system does say, this is me, this isn't me, this isn't me, I'd better destroy it or negotiate with it in order for it to become me. Correct. Hmm. And that's oh, the of the and this gets extended when... In modern human beings, the gut brain talks to the head brain and says, you know, this isn't really me. This isn't really working for me. I don't feel it in my gut. This feels wrong in my Mm. gut. The Japanese have an expression called harage, which means belly talk. Stomach art. Yeah. Harage. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And... So this is why understanding the brains, all the brains, is so important to sexuality and to be able to have a positive, enlightened sexuality. Because if you're not being true to yourself, right, if you're not being true to your gut... You'll feel it in your gut. You'll feel it in your gut and you won't be able to truly have wonderful sexual experiences. So ego-dystonic experiences are often experienced in the enteric brain. Mm. Correct. Translated, it means things that aren't you, you'll feel in your gut. Exactly, and if you'll you're have in touch to, with yourself, it, exactly. Because if you if you if there's something that semantically, from a, you know a head based perspective, doesn't feel you know right to you, you'll feel it in the gut. Also, mm. depending on um, another aspect, you'll feel it in the heart. But mm. if if you feel it at a gut level, it's not you. You'll hear mm. people say things like, "I just can't swallow that idea. Mm. I need to give me some time. I need to digest it. It leaves a mm. bad taste in my mouth. It leaves a mm. bad taste in my mouth." Exactly. Mm. Uh, so, you know, people choke on, on things, you know, they, they, they actually choke up when there's something that is mm. not them. Makes me want to gag. Exactly. Yeah. And all those horrible tummy feelings, you know, butterflies or cramps or, yeah. oh, I feel sick, or again, I feel sick in my gut. Or again, like the Japanese say, kimochi warui, yes. which has that implication of a bad like, feeling, but yeah. you want to throw up. Yeah, and it's coming yeah. from the gut. Yeah, yeah it's the, the whole integrity system. Which brings us then, if we're talking mm. about the integrity, then we'll, 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 we need to talk about the sex brain. So I assume that there's a sex brain located somewhere in the genital region. Yeah, well, this is the interesting thing. Currently, neuroscience is, is not validating that there is a sex brain, as in there's no field of, you know, like there's a field of neurocardiology and there's a field of mm. neurogastroenterology. <laughs> so they've, they've actually developed scientific fields for the, the heart brain and the gut brain, but there's no field for the sex brain yet. What would you call it? Neuro what? 
Yeah, um, that's a good question. You guys are probably... Eurosexual. Well, see, this is interesting you say that because being essentially a sexologist, like sex just struggles scientifically because, you know, it's so typical in the Western society. Well, it's not even that it's taboo. It's not taken seriously. Like, because it still has that, you know, little boy sort of whoa-ho-ho sex kind of attitude. Sort of like why comedies never get an Academy Award. Yeah. It's Mm. not taking, you know, and so many of my colleagues who are really, really good scientists and so forth have to fight within universities and so forth to be taken seriously, right? And. Just as an aside, one of the reasons why I haven't followed academia is because not only am I interested in sex, I'm interested in positive sex. I'm interested in things like pleasure and no self-respecting university would be at all interested in investigating such things. Yeah, so it doesn't surprise me that the field Funding of is going to be challenging for the science of pleasure. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that the whole field of neurology is a bit slow to get to the sexual Okay, so for want of a better term, we can coin another one later, neurosexology. Mm. That good to me. Okay, right. Neurosexology would would postulate that somewhere around the genital region, maybe even in the amazingly hidden clitoris, Mm. there is a neural network probably as smart as the average cockroach. Smarter. Or probably smarter than the average cockroach. Which They're pretty damn would, smart things. You ever try to get rid of some of them things? <laughs> you can, no, no. I'm not disparaging cockroaches, believe me. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's, it, it, it does its job, but it would be involved in, obviously, reproduction and yes. perpetuating itself, but also in growth, what the Greeks called phusis, from which we get our word physics, yep. which is all about the life force. Yes, the life force. Exactly. Now, Grant and Ooh, I... Don't would... tap the <coughs> microphone, everybody. Sorry, it's sorry, like a bump, bump, bump. No, but I'm getting excited, that, hence, hence the tapping. <laughs> That's Jacqueline's what... um, excited signal for... Well, it is. I'm bouncing a little bit here. I bounce when I get excited. Because, you know, Very as you bounce. know, Grant, you and I have been having some fascinating conversations around this and so forth. Um, and you, you put to me that question about, well, what does Tantra have to say about the sex brain? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, because so much of what the research you're doing and, and putting together and making sense of is really validating these ancient traditions. And that's why I'm so excited. You know, the idea of the, the different energetic centers in the body seem to be um, in accord with the brains and so forth. So, you know, the sexual center, what is that about? And that's very much about, um, you know, base chakra and so forth. It's about being in the physical world. Right, it it brings us into reality. It grounds us. It centers us. It means we're here, and therefore we can be and experience physicality. And aligned with that is very much this idea of being able to experience sensuality, experiencing through the senses, and being able to have pleasure. And this is as primordial as Percy the Picaya or Cecil the Sea Slug mm. sucking their way through the primordial ooze mm. and seeking mm. to perpetuate its life. Yes, and finding yeah. pleasure in that process, like really just being and being at ease in their, you know, ongoing squishy oozing along in well, life. Well, I'd imagine it's a very sensual experience being a sea slug because yes. you... I, 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 I mean, it's hard to get into a sea slug's brain, but I'd imagine that while you're sensuously moving through all that mud, it must feel like silk against your skin. Mm. 
And for us very complex creatures, it's hard for us to get that simple slithering sense because there's so much going on. Yeah, but when people in the way. Yeah, but when well, people this is largely the challenge. Yeah, but when people are aligned, there's this lovely ease of life. And yes. there's and I know like I mean I'm not there all the time. I've got a bit of a way to go to Buddha head myself, but you know <laughs> oh, I, I can I, I can vouch for that. Thank you, Xavier. Um but um you know, I have moments of it and very much and from doing the tantric work and the energetic work and stuff, it's very much feeling that life force that you just mentioned, Xavier, and it wells up from the sexual center. It's really, it's a very obvious feeling. And if we're talking about the kundalini energy rising and so forth, it rises from the base as well. And you feel it rising and it suffuses your body and it's pleasure, it's bliss, it's life energy, it's a feeling of being enlivened, lifted, yeah? So in this PhD that you and Grant are going to be writing, oh, are we? PS, <laughs> that's, I'm, putting, I'm putting public pressure on both of you to do it because <laughs> I'm not going to do it. No, no university in the world is going to let me be a PhD partner on this one without even an undergraduate degree, so I'm going to give this to you two. <laughs> Thank you. You two should actually go off and do some stuff on this. Mm. But what do you think about that, Grant? Yeah, I think everything you guys have just said is absolutely spot on. I, I think when you get into your gut um, as Cecil the Sea Slug, mm. when, you, when, you, when you really experience life at that bliss point of life, because mm. I think there's, a, there's an aspect of bliss that's coming out of that sexual center, yes. it really brings all of the other brains alive. When you, when you come aligned yes. from all of this, then it is very sensuous. Life does get very easy and flow. And the gut brain is all about movement. Motility, flow. Mm. So the quality of your of your moving is the quality of how you are embodying your gut brain and whether or not you're stressing it from messages from the head or whether you're really aligned. When you are mm. aligned and you're you're not in stress and you're not in depress you know depression, mm. you know, that beautiful bliss point of your whole mind body working together as one, mm. then you do come alive and the energy does flow from the from the base you mm. know, right right up through. And I, I think of these words like energy etc and the kundalini as metaphors you know sort of all ancient metaphors for information flows it, it does though imply that if you've got to deal with four different brains they might be going in four different directions directions uh well yeah. one or e- erections for that or, matter um or any because, combination thereof or any right? combination thereof and there could be like what eight different well, possibilities between on off on either one i don't know i'm a bit weak on my maths at this time in the morning anyway but what i'm getting at is that you had there are possibly seven misalignments but only one alignment yes so there's more ways to screw up than there is to do it beautifully which is why after the break we're going to actually explore how to do it beautifully how to get the four brains actually aligned with each other so that your head isn't saying, uh, I want to do one thing while your heart is saying, ah, I want to be somewhere else, whereas your gut is saying, this isn't me, whereas your sex brain is saying, yeah, but this feels really good. Mm. <clears throat> because I, that's Sorry. why I think most people's lives get really, really complicated because they're screwing up the various brains and they're not 
really... They're not in alignment. They're not in alignment. Mm. It's like not having your car wheels in alignment. If you've got four different wheels and yeah. they're all going in different directions, mm. your car isn't going to go very far. You mm. get all the four wheels in alignment, you're going to be mm. able to... And I also off. believe, you know, it's not just about not being aligned, is that we're actually just simply not connecting with certain brains. So the wheels aren't even connected yeah. to their axles. Yeah. And oh, yeah. With, the, with the sex brain in particular, a lot of people, mm. so it's not even there. It's not we'll, even there. And we'll explore alignment after the break. Welcome back to the Tantric Lounge. We, what the listeners don't know is that in the break we were interrupted by Jacqueline's nine-year-old son. Mm. And I just thought it was funny that on a sex show we were actually dealing with the consequences of sex for a few. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, children. Yes. Yes. People, we tend not to talk about children too much on a sex show, yet so often That's sex actually does actually ultimately result yes. in children. They uh, are. 20-year-plus commitment, a lifetime commitment. Fruit of our loins. For the sake of a few orgasms. <laughs> I just think it's really interesting. Nature's little con trick. It's and not a con trick. They're beautiful. <laughs> anyway, back to the sex brain. Yes, we're going to talk about alignment with Grant Susilo, our neurological expert who's going to talk about the sex brain and how to align the sex brain with our gut brain, with our heart brain, mm. with our head brain. Now, can I just interrupt for a moment because I have to remember to do some promotion here. So people who are interested in Grant's um, and Marvin's work can find out more on www.mbraining.com. Is that correct, Grant? It is uh, little m, the word brain, and then mm-hmm. ing, mbraining.com. Mm. And the book is fantastic. Thank you. What does, the m, what does the m stand for? Ah, so, so the reason we called it mbraining was m for multiple. Mm-hmm. And so we, we said that currently in neuroscience has proven there are three brains, head, heart, and gut. So we could call it three-braining, but that would be incredibly hubristic of us to assume that science has got everything there is. And given mm. that we know that you know, Byron Robinson, MD, in 1895, just you know, was suggesting there was a, a sex brain as well as, or he called mm. it a reproductive brain, as well yeah. as a gut brain, then mm. obviously in the fullness of time, modern neuroscience will get the funding to prove that we have a sex brain. So therefore, we'd have four brains. And there's a, some neuroscientists are suggesting that the the autonomic nervous system and the vagus nerve in particular, which is a, a core part of that, it could also be considered to be a brain. It has a sufficient brain. complexity in all the components that you know make up a brain. So really, we, we study the vagus. Brains. We 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 studied the vagus nerve in dentistry mm. in the in the short time I was in university. Mm. You can trust me; I was almost a dentist once. <laughs> <laughs> the the um, but I'd say that given that everything. Everything that you found so far can be um, reaffirmed from ancient traditions, such as you know the yeah. Taoist and the China and the Tantric and so forth. And they're big; they are big on the on the sex brain or the sex sexual center, and it having a very powerful, important part of the body. And it's interesting you know, because some people have done some research around it. I know that Naomi Wolf, in her fabulous book uh, Vagina and Autobiography, um, she Is starts she the whole thing. A cunt? The whole thing starts from when she had a problem in her vagus nerve and she lost interest not only in sex but she lost her uh, creativity, she lost her joy in life and once they corrected the nervous problem so that the nerves from her, her genitals were flowing freely up to her brain, 
not only did she find interest in sex again and enjoyed sex again, her creativity came back and so did her joie de vivre. She really started enjoying life. And that sent her off on this big quest, which she wrote this book, and I recommend it to everybody. And hopefully I can get her on the program one time. And, and simply things like the fact that so many women who've suffered intense sexual trauma are flat, they're depressed, you know, there is no joy. This isn't, uh, the, but this isn't to imply that a person who isn't in touch with their sex brain can't enjoy life. It's just to imply that it's easier. Yes, yes. But the, this is about is that if you damage it, yeah, if you damage it, then you won't be able to. At all. Well, I'm curious too because one thing that I've noticed in my clinical practice is that because so many women in the West, the kind of sex we tend to have, which is rather um, intense and fairly unpleasant for a lot of women, but they keep doing it because they think they should and let's just hope it doesn't take too long. So they're subjecting themselves to constant low-level sexual trauma, right? And guess what else so many women in the West suffer from? Low-level depression, like so many women are on antidepressants or are feeling bad. And I would not be surprised if there is a connection between subjecting themselves to this constant poor sex, which is a low-level trauma in the genital region and therefore to the sex brain, and this disconnect to the, to the head brain and the heart brain and the gut brain because they're obviously overriding their gut brains if they're doing things that make them feel bad. That's right, because of the threat monitoring of the gut brain. Exactly. And the gut you know, brain so, being so close to the sex brain. I mean, yeah, physically and so, it's, it's likely to be entwined in some way, yeah. shape or form. And so women you, will tell me they have to turn themselves off to be able to put up with having this regular, unpleasant, unwanted sex with their partners. They so, say they do it out of love to keep him happy, but they're not into it. And so, they so, they're, so they're putting up rather than putting out. Yeah, and yes. and you're postulating a, a connection between mm. depression and disconnection. Yes, because it's that flattening of the of the life force. Yeah. All right. So Grant. Yeah. So all of this, or where has all of this money that's been spent on your education, not <laughs> only for yourself but from the public purse? What's that going to give us now to the world? Justify your existence at least a little bit <laughs> by you. telling us, shh, tell, by telling, by telling us, Sorry, Brian, and especially, especially <laughs> beautiful. I, I, I love what, what what Xavier just said. It's so, uh, it's actually so vital. Well, you know, mm. I, I feel in in having written Embraining, having spent mm. two and a half, three years of research, and then six months writing the book, mm. I feel like I actually have you know brought some benefit back to the planet. And, yes. if you're and now you can do it on a radio show. That's tell right. Now I can spread it on a radio, radio show because what it's all about is yes. bringing more wisdom to people's lives. Ultimately, that's what the, the process of alignment brings. Okay. Now, in order to bring that wisdom, that, that emergence of the whole of the human being and the human spirit coming alive, because that's what we've discovered with our, our modeling work. And you know, we developed M-Braining M as a coaching modality or methodology. So it actually it can be used to coach people into alignment. Around any issue, whether it's you know, a sexual issue or an organizational issue or a personal issue. So, in order to do that alignment, one of the things that we discovered is that three brains are, or four brains are innervated, so they're connected nervously, or the nerves connect them um, through the vagus, that, that wonderful thing you learned in dentistry. Which and means wandering. The vagus means wandering. So, it's this huge wandering plexus that, as the 10th cranial nerve comes out, and wanders in front of the spine throughout the whole body, innovating 
all of the viscera, all of the organs, and you know, a huge amount of the body. And, and I've got some very recent scientific uh, texts that saying that the neuroscientists are now discovering just how important the autonomic nervous system and the vagus is to human health and human wellness and emotional wellness as well yes, as yes. mental wellness, not just physical wellness. And so you could almost treat the vagus as a fifth brain because it's an intelligencing system that is, is doing interesting things. And what we have to, to then quickly talk about is this autonomic nervous system that right. runs the whole of our, our bodies and uh, influences our minds. And the autonomic nervous system has two arms, of which the vagus is one of them. It's sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is the fight and flight. And yes, the parasympathetic. That's to be attacked by a saber-toothed tiger. Tiger, then your yes. your sympathetic will kick in, and mm-hmm. uh, your heart will start racing, and you'll get you know this, this huge flush of neurohormones, and you'll get uh, you know fighting or flighting. But after the danger, after the saber-toothed tiger has gone away, you need to come back to homeostasis. You have to come back to balance, and mm-hmm. that's what the parasympathetic does. And the vagus is a, a main arm of the parasympathetic. That's the calm side, isn't it? That's, that's your yin right. as opposed to the yang. So the yang. sympathetic's the yang fired up and the parasympathetic is the yin. All nice exactly. and soft and happy. Exactly. Yes. And it's, it's known as the feeding and fornicating arm. So it's very germane to Tantra. Mm. <laughs> so in order to be, be able to uh, do feeding or fornicating, in order to be able to do sexuality and yes. sensuosity, you have to not be stressed. You have to not be in sympathetic dominance. Yes. Sympathetic dominance, it down-regulates you. When you're really massively stressed, you can't eat. You're not interested mm. in sex. You know, mm. During stressful moments, it's the last thing you'll, you'll want is to, to have sex. But once the stress Except is that gone, lots of people do, particularly women. Yeah, yeah. And that whole concept of penetration right. just yep. makes... I mean, just the word makes you want to kind of freeze up. It just puts you into sympathetic. I'm going to be penetrated, batten down, Yeah, patches. and then it depends on which orifice you're being penetrated in, like if, mm. if you're... Doing, I know there's it's kind of in uh, a lot of sexuality these days, that sort of extreme sex, mm. there's kind of a move to more anal sex mm-hmm. as being a cool thing that young people are doing. And, mm. uh, you know, that, that's the, the mouth, the tongue down to the anus is the gut brain. Mm. So if, if you are penetrated in a way that you aren't fully accepting of, it will be yes. a massive internal threat to your gut brain, to your core Absolutely. self. Absolutely. Mm. And, and you will feel completely violated. But if you then try and link that to stimulus and excitement, mm. but it's through the stress mode, yes. um, in order to, to actually have an orgasm and, and to get to that point of release, you need a balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic. You can't be in an overly sympathetic mm. state, an overly stressed state. You can't state. orgasm that way. Yeah, so many it's, people, including plenty of men, I find, they're too stressed to be able to orgasm. Yes. Mm. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So, um, so you need your autonomic nervous system to be in balance. And what we discovered in our behavioral modeling work is that when you bring the autonomic nervous system into alignment, then the three brains or four brains can start communicating. Because when yeah. you're in an overly stressed or overly depressed, if you've got too much parasympathetic, the brains tend to be doing competencies that don't allow for that beautiful, blissful uh, mm. I love the way Xavier put it, you know, with the Cecil the sea slug in, in, in <laughs> enjoying the sensuosity of, of moving through the primordial sea. Uh, unless mm. you're in that state of mm. beautiful balance or what's called coherence, mm. uh, you know, nice coherence in the sympathetic and parasympathetic. I like to think of it like a car. It, mm-hmm. you know, it, this, 
sympathetic is like the accelerator, the parasympathetic mm-hmm. is like the brake. And right. you know, you can, they're two separate systems, so you can have foot flat on the floor of the accelerator and you're doing 100 miles an hour down the highway. Mm-hmm. That's like you know, getting away from the, the, the tiger. As soon as mm-hmm. the tiger's gone, you, you actually need to brake the car because if you take your foot off the accelerator, you're still doing 100 miles an hour. Yes. So, you, know, yes. you stick your foot on the brake and now that's the parasympathetic and you, and you slow the car down. But if, mm-hmm. you, if you keep your foot on the brake, once the car's stopped and you've still got your foot flat to the floor on the brake, the car mm-hmm. can't get moving ever again. And yes. that's like depression and that over-parasympathetic yes. is a form of depression. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about you know, w- women having a lot of depression. It's probably because mm-hmm. they're over-parasympathetic dominant, which has you know, come about due to a down-regulation, due to too much threat yeah. at deep core level. In other words, they're driving with the handbrake on. Exactly, exactly. And this is what can happen in life. We, if we, we can end up with sympathetic dominance and parasympathetic dominance. So foot on the accelerator, foot on the brake, driving around, you know, the brakes smoking, the, the engine roaring, and the whole car about to fall apart. And that's mm. where you see a lot of people in their lives today. We do, don't you? It's a really good yeah. description. Yeah. yeah, as compared to having your foot off the accelerator, off the brake, but ready to be able to put a little bit of accelerator, a little bit of brake as mm-hmm. necessary. And that's that mm. beautiful balance. Yes. We don't have much time. Oh, oh. Yeah. Um, so we might actually exercise. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, so you can get a little experience of this. I need to explain that because breathing uh, controls the autonomic state. Right. So We've been doing lots of, of breathing on this show, I can assure well, you. Yeah, exactly. Some of it heavy. Some of your, your um, previous episodes, and I know that, especially I know that with tantric, uh, the breathing is really core mm. to part of the process of really bringing your sexuality and your bliss alive through breathing yes. you you control a lot of and all wisdom traditions have some mm. way in which they control breathing either through mm. explicit breathing like pranayama or um, through implicit breathing through chanting mantras etc uh, the various behavioral ways to control your breathing so in order to bring yourself to autonomic balance you need to breathe evenly every time you breathe in it turns out it creates sympathetic dominance Every time you breathe out, it causes parasympathetic dominance of this autonomic nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so if you breathe in for the same duration as out, you will bring, and especially if you do diaphragmatic breathing, you will bring your autonomic system into balance. So, if you breathe so, like belly, breath, bre- so belly breathing, belly breathing four in? Five, four seconds in, four seconds out, five seconds. It turns out around about five to six seconds is optimal, mm-hmm. but nice. it depends on different people's you know, body sizes and, and how... Um, used you are to, to breathing deeply, etc. Um, so you might only do it for two or three seconds. But as long as the in-breath matches the out-breath. Mm-hmm. And if you start to go into, uh, you know, just sit for a moment and, um, and start to breathe evenly in and out. And mm, please nice. don't do this if you're driving a car or operating heavy machinery right now. But <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you take a moment and sit and just go deeply inside and just start to focus on your breathing and breathing for say three or four seconds in and three or four seconds out and as you begin to breathe evenly and easily in and out if you just start to focus on the breath coming in through the region of your heart in through mm-hmm. your chest imagine almost like a light coming into your chest mm-hmm. and as you do you get this, this breathing evenly into your heart begin to tap in and ask yourself let's use the subject say of blissful sex of coming alive through sex. As you breathe in a sense of coming alive through sex in your life, what does your heart have to say? Because you can actually ask your heart Mm. and it will respond. It will respond in simple words, in 
imagery in some sort of sense that will come to conscious awareness? Mm, I'm getting a sense of allowing. Allowing. Nice. Mm. And nice. coming with that for me is time. Which we're mm. running out of. Oh, <clears throat> well, we need to allow time for blissful sex. We do. I suggest that we invite Grant on again where we he can must. take us to a, a deeper place with this alignment thing. We might mm-hmm. dedicate an entire show towards alignment. That's a good that'd idea. And I'd like to bring Marvin in on the show too, if you wouldn't mind. Yes. Oh, that'd be great. Absolutely. This is Marvin Oka, your, um, yeah, my colleague your, and co-author. Your, your partner in crime. Mm. So to speak, now you know Marvin has an amazing history. So uh, he, he'd be you know very. He's actually from the US for all of the US listeners, uh, mm. and he was a world class uh, magician, sleight of hand magician, won really? the world competition, and oh. worked for ten years in Hawaii. Uh, he was a member of the Magic Castle. He's performed before twenty thousand people. He used to be the warm up act for people like Tom Jones, etc. So he's a world class. My my my, delightful. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and one of the, the top NLP trainers in the world. So, well, um, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly look forward for, for you, both you and Marvin doing that voodoo that you do so well. <laughs> and can we just give uh, nice one. Your, your website again, which is www.mbraining.com. And mine, of course, is www.jacquelinhellier.com or thetantriclounge.com. Grant, it's been an absolute delight having you. Thank you both. It's been hope- wonderful, and uh, I've enjoyed laying back on the lounge here. Oh, it's just been delightful. It's a space where we can relax, we can talk, we can stimulate our minds, our hearts, our guts, and our sexual centres. So and we can have a foursome next time. We will indeed. So thank you to listeners <laughs> all around the world. This will be a polyamorous experience. Yes. <laughs> listeners all around the world, hopefully you've learned a lot from today, and we look forward to joining you again same time next week here down on the Tantric Lounge. <laughs> 